Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Parma Podcast. Um, I am James Prescott. I'm your host t- today. Um, today is a special show. It's a show that I didn't really want to have to do. Um, but as you will know, many of you will know, um, uh, the author and uh, speaker, activist, advocate, um, Rachel Held Evans passed away this last weekend surrounded by her family and friends um, she was 37 years old and she'd written four books but that was just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the impact that she had um, on so many people and the progressive church and the LGBT community and women in general um, the role of women in church and um, she leaves behind this great legacy and I felt it was right today that we talk about her legacy and talk about the impact that she's had and talk about how we can respond in our own lives and how we process grief um, and I'm joined today by my good friends um, somebody who's also feeling the loss of Rachel very deeply um, Becky Castle-Miller Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for arranging this, James. It's something that was on my heart. Actually, I was going to message you and ask if you wanted to, to do this, and you messaged me first and said we should do it, and I was, I was glad we were on the same wavelength of wanting to talk about Rachel and processes together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really, that's, that's really amazing. I had no idea, actually, that you were going to message me. Um, yeah. Um, Rachel, I never was able to interview Rachel for the show. Never got the opportunity to do that. I'm sure I would have done if I, if, um, if she'd lived, um, and that would have been amazing. Um, but um, there's no doubt Rachel had an impact on has had an impact on my journey. I know she's had an impact on Becky's as well, as well as so many other people. So I think I think what I want to talk about first is. Um, the, the individual impact that she's had on that she had on your life, Becky, and and, and on mine, um, and then we'll go on to kind of her wider influence and the things that she did, the things that she changed, um, and then we'll move on to other talking about grief and um, and then we'll cl- kind of close with how we're going to respond to um, what's happened. So yeah, Becky, um, just share with us a bit about Rachel's impact on on your life. nine days older than Rachel. So on May 30th, I will turn 38. And then just a few days later, it would have been her 38th birthday. And so um, we're, you know, we, we grew up in the same world at the same time. So I very much relate to her story. And I very much feel that kinship of, of her death because it makes me face my mortality and to think of my children. I have five little kids and my youngest is three, the age of her oldest. And I just think about (laughs) the incomprehensibility for my kids if I didn't come home from the hospital. And um, so, you know, just on that personal level, I feel that connection. But going back to my growing up years, um, I grew up in a very conservative 
Christian evangelical family in middle America, just like Rachel did. And so um, I just, I connect with her journey at, at so many points, but she is um, braver than I am. And she was bolder than I am. And she started asking really good, insightful questions before I did. Um, so I felt like by the time I went through a safety construction in my 20s, my late 20s, she had already been through it. And so she, even though we were the same age, she was able to be a guide for me in that process because she was kind of on the other side of it. So mm. still going through reconstruction herself, I think. Um, so when I first encountered her writing, um, I think it was probably 2012, 2013, um, I was ready to reconstruct my perspective on Christianity, having deconstructed a lot of things. And I found that when I first started reading her, I disagreed with her on most things. Yeah. I look at it now and I realize I probably agree with her on, on most things. And so that shift in my thinking was really set off by the questions that she asked and the people that she talked to and the platforms that she shared. Um, she helped me encounter people I wasn't listening to. Um, she really championed um, women of color and she championed female pastors and she was one of the first Christian feminists that I ever encountered. I, I really used to think that feminist was a dirty word. Um, but to see her and Sarah Bethy and other faithful Christians who loved God and loved people and loved the church, but also felt that there was a need to speak up for the rights of women, really blew my mind. Um, and I was beginning to feel the limits placed on me in the church because of my being a woman, um, as my, what I now know of pastoring and teaching gifts that I believe the Holy Spirit given me for the church, I didn't know how to identify those because I thought women couldn't have those gifts. Um, but as those gifts started to come out in my life, I started hitting these invisible barriers of people wanting to limit me. And so I decided to really dig into what I believed about women in the church. And because I had been reading Rachel's blog and kind of disagreeing with it, but being fascinated anyway and sticking around, um, she was one of the first people I turned to. And so her book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, which was a New York Times bestseller, and it's funny. It's so funny and it's so engaging. Mm. Uh, and I laughed and I enjoyed it. And I also cried because when I was reading that, I had this moment of freedom. Um, when I was reading about her work on the Proverbs 31 woman and pointing out that it's not a to-do list, or a, an impossible standard, or a limit to that. Like the only way to be a godly woman is to be a wife and mother. It's not that at all. It's just a poem of praise for a woman of valor. And I cried when I read that, um, and it it broke something free in me. And I went on to read uh, other books and, and really grapple with egalitarian theology, um, and and found my way to the full freedom for women in the church and in marriage um, to be people with men, um, that we both have the same callings and the same opportunities to serve God together. So Rachel, in a sense, was a liberator for me, and I think that's one reason that her death has grieved so many people, because when someone has a role of being 
an emancipator or a liberator in your life. I mm-hmm. think you feel like you owe them your freedom for the rest of your life, and they, they have such a special place in your story. And so that was one thing that Rachel was for me. She was a guide, and she was um, a liberator for me. And I am so grateful for the impact she had on me. Mm. And I'm guessing that the, one of the reasons that you're now doing what you do, you know, as a, as a pastor, you know, and studying theology and those things, is partly because of of Rachel. Right. And I should mention more specifically what I'm doing. So I'm in my third year of four years of seminary at Northern Seminary, and on my way to becoming ordained, um, and I'm serving on the pastoral staff of an international church in the Netherlands right now. And um, where I am very much in my school, in my writing career, I very much owe to Rachel because it was through her that I got to know Dr. Scott McKnight, a New Testament theologian, and uh, she and Scott were friends, and um, Scott, Scott and I actually, when Rachel passed away, um, Scott and I had been checking in on the news, following it closely and, and talking with each other about that. And uh, when I found out that she had passed away, I went to type it to Scott and he had to type it to me. Um, so I, I owe my connection with Scott to Rachel and her blog. And it was through her blog that I started reading his blog and his book. And then that's how I ended up studying with him at Northern Seminary. And um, so the freedom that Rachel gave me and that connection has me in seminary um, and pursuing writing books for the church and um, and pastoring. So very much who I am and where I am is due to her. I mean, I was just thinking this evening, James, I think in some ways we owe our friendship to her as well. Um, because I think that her impact on both of us to where we are on the need to elevate women's voices. Yes. That whole idea is how you ended up opening your podcast to women, which is how you and I connected. And so I was just thinking, like, in a way, I feel like we owe even our our meeting each other to her. Yeah, I I don't know how how accurate this is, but it may be that one of the reasons I put that tweet out, I mean, I'd already had a lot of women on my show, And I thought, and it was always important to me to have a lot of women, female voices on my show, mm-hmm. um, as well as LGBTQ and other people. Um, but um, it may have been in response to a tweet of Rachel's that I tweeted, "I want more, I want more female voices on my podcast." Like it may have been in response to a indirect response to a tweet of mm-hmm. hers. I can't remember, but it, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I think we do owe our friendship to Rachel, um, which is a kind of ironic because I never actually got to have a like a face like a verbal conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, I'll go and I'll talk about my experience of her. But we've followed each other on on Twitter for quite a long time, and um, we had a lot of conversations on Twitter, and um, most of my conversations with her were about writing. Mm-hmm. And and she was really encouraging to me in terms of, I mean, the variety of things. One thing that she we had a conversation about was being having integrity as a writer. That you know, that it's not about numbers and money and followers. 
Um, it's really about the quality of the work and, and being faithful to what um, to what you what you want to do and finding joy in it. And I remember her encouraging me in that and supporting me in that as well and calling out other writers who weren't doing that, um, including somebody who had actually hurt me. A write, you know, um, there was a writer that had kind of betrayed me and she really called him out and I really appreciated that. Um, yeah, we had a lot of conversations about books we were writing and um, the creative process and um, it, I always got the impression how I always got the impression she loved to write she just loved to write um, you know it wasn't work for her that it was something that she just loved doing um, and she would have done it for free you know um, and I mean I the work she did with LGBT inclusion had a huge impact on me um, I was already I mean I'd already I was already in agreement with her but she introduced me to a lot of voices LGBTQ voices that I wasn't aware of and who broadened my understanding of LGBTQ issues around faith and challenges and a greater understanding of theology in that area um and yeah and empower, obviously empowering women and how important that is and um and I remember watching I, I remember watching her on social media really releasing other people like people that now have their own followings you know like Sarah Bessie and Caitlin Caitlin Curtis you know those people um who like she really kind of led the way with those people and yourself of course you know but um yeah and seeing social media since her passing and people sharing stories of how she sent them encouraging emails and and kind of connected them with people and you know and um just you know kept people going and encouraged people it was like it was just there was just so much that she did that we didn't see um, and yeah that I mean I mean her, her her book Searching for Sunday was really important for me in terms of my journey kind of out of toxic religion um, and into healthy spiritual community that you know that, that book was huge for me um, and I think it was for a lot of other people I think um, in the same situation I think um, that's probably the book of hers that impacted me the most I would think, I would think. but I mean all of her books are, are amazing but um, yeah she was a big influence on me and an encouragement to me and support, support for me in, especially in my writing journey and um, opened my mind up theologically and you know broadened my horizons in a lot of ways and um, yeah I miss her <laughs> um, my whole timeline on Saturday and Sunday was just yeah Twitter entirely speak about her and it blew my mind to see it because it was such a range 
of people I follow, but they were all talking about her. And it was everyone from super hyper-conservative Christians like Russell Moore and Beth Moore, uh, both affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, very conservative voices, um, praising her and remembering her and honoring her for the kind way that she had interacted with them, even when they had theological disagreements. Um, and then it was it was extremely progressive Christians like Nadia Bolz-Weber and even uh, I saw today a tweet from Hillary Clinton honoring Rachel. So very broad spectrum of people. Um, people, I just that that was amazing to me to see these people with with such differences um, remembering how she was kind to them, how she showed love to them. Uh, so many. Um, women who are leading voices in, in conservative, like, conservative Christian women's ministry, like women who write women's Bible studies and things, who would disagree with her on, on women's ordination, even though they themselves are very gifted teachers in the church, um, but praising her and, and honoring her for the way that she would reach out and encourage them uh, and send them notes of encouragement in their writing and, and in their spiritual gifts. Um, and so I just thought it was such a testament to who she was that so many different types of people felt loved by her and felt a connection with her and I think that's incredible that she could show such care to people yeah and it it showed to me that she she had a very open-handed way of believing Mm -hmm. she wasn't dualistic in how she believed um she was willing to hear people who disagree with her and have conversation with them without judging, without condemnation, without without bitterness, you know, without division, and say, okay, we disagree, but we can still have conversation, you know, um, and that's how it should be. That's how it should be, and you know, I mean, I, in terms of where my beliefs are, my theology, whatever, I've probably moved be moved beyond even progressive Christianity but I know that we shared a lot of we shared the same values and I know that I've been on the same journey that she's been on you know and she was a big part of my journey and um, but she's a really she's just like and it's one of the one of the great things that I loved about what happened after she passed was how people were saying you know what like I'm I'm not going to not take selfies anymore. I'm going to actually yeah. take photos of people. I love that. I'm going to take photos of people and make sure that I get memories with them. And yeah. that was really great. And then, but the other thing was, and I, I did, I did this certainly was like, let's actually just have gratitude for people that mm-hmm. we know, like who are in our life, who are making an impact on us. And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to do more of that. I used to do that a lot, and I. I've kind of fallen out of the habit of, of encouraging people, and, and which is sad because I love encouraging people. So I just thought, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Um, I loved the notes that people were sharing, the little notes that she had sent them, and they, some of them were short, two or three lines. Yeah. And that was a really eye-opening thing. It doesn't. Sometimes I put off sending a note to someone because I think it has to be long or I think it has to be just right. But she would just dash off these two or three line emails or texts or Twitter messages and 
really blew someone's foot and people had screenshot of them and saved them and they're bringing them out today to share and that was such an inspiration to me so I started writing thank you notes to people and even noticing um when I like a piece of writing I've just responded to the writer this is great thanks for this piece I especially like this line just pointing those things out because I don't want to miss the chance to tell them I'm realizing all the things I'm saying about Rachel now I didn't tell her all of them when I could have yeah and I regret that and I I did tell her some I did share how she had impacted me and where I am today and I'm so glad I did that but mm. I wish I had done it more yeah I, I do um, I wish I thanked her more for her support um, and for my writing and things and how she impacted my journey I definitely and you know I, I've made I'm trying to make I'm going to try and make a point going forward and we'll talk about what we're going to do but later but going forward is you know to, to, to do that to send encouraging notes to people and to remind them how valued they are um, you know because it's it's really important that we know that don't left don't leave things left unsaid you know um, that was a lesson I learned when my mother passed away as well it changes your whole perspective on life and what's really important and you stop getting annoyed about things which aren't important mm-hmm. and that's something I hope that happens as a result of this that people you know I mean Twitter became a nice place again after you know as everyone was sharing in their grief and it was it's really sad that it took that to to do to the, for that to happen but yeah maybe that's a lesson for us um mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I mean in terms of Rachel's wider impact I mean you could be here all day talking about that it, the number of stories I saw of women who became pastors or writers or bloggers because because of something they read of Rachel's or because Rachel encouraged them um or any of that I, I lost count of the number of those I saw there's so many women who started writing started becoming a pastor mm-hmm. started blogging whatever because because of her and not only that but the number of LGBTQ people I saw who said that she had impacted them had made them feel heard and listened to and valued um, by the church um, and loved you know that was amazing and and yeah. you, were, you were saying like something else about yeah he, I saw people crediting her with saving their lives um, because they were suicidal and she made them feel loved and, and that there was a place for them in the church and I I just there's no greater impact than that I mean Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbors and she did that so well she lived in that sense, an exemplary Christian life because she fulfilled the greatest commandment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's what a testament that is. You know, people who people who say she saved their life. That that's it. That, yeah, I mean, that that's incredible. Um, there are literally people who would not be here if not for her. You know, um, 
Yeah, and it was just a, it, it was a wider cultural thing. I think you know when you talk about Hillary Clinton, you know, paying tribute to her and you know. She, and Curry um, wrote a lovely tribute to her, the Bishop of the Episcopal Church, which she was a part of. Um, yeah. Amazing the breadth of people that she impacted. Yeah. Um, it's incredible that you know, the, 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 she leaves a very big footprint, you know, um, and a very deep one. Um, and the grief outpouring after her death is nothing I've seen before. I've seen some people compare it to, some older people compare it to when Keith Green died or when Mitch Mullins died, the impact that had on parts of the Christian community. Um, but just the way that people have been grieving someone they either knew as an acquaintance or didn't even, hadn't even met, but had only interacted with online or interacted with through her books, there's a profound sense of grief and loss that you don't normally see when a Christian writer passes away. Some of that, I think, is her age. We are all just feeling the tragedy and the unfairness of that. But it's yeah. also the, the impact she had. But yeah, this this wave of grief has been um, a powerful thing to be a part of. It has, it has, and um, we're gonna. I think this is a good time to get into talking about grief. And um, I want to kind of introduce this part by just telling my story a little bit of when I heard, um, because I'd been away um, at this event called Wake, ironically, um, and it, it was just a week from the anniversary of my mum's my mum's passing. My mum died, um, she was only 52, um, I was in my early 20s, um, my sister was still a teenager, um, and that's 19, 19 years ago. So I, you know, I just had, just come out of that week, um, and all the memories of that and and then you know I remember I, I was I was out and I saw it on my phone and I um, couldn't believe it and I was in shock and you know I was going out anyway and I, I went out and, and I I grabbed a, uh, a drink and I was you know watching something on TV and um, but I had an emotional flashback an emotional flashback for people who maybe don't know what it is it's, it's unlike a visual flashback where you kind of visualise something from the past it's more that your body emotionally remembers something from the past a feeling that you've had from the past um, a, a traumatic one um, and reacts to it as if it's happening right now um, so I that's what this ha- that's what this did to me and um, I was feeling the grief of losing Rachel um, and I was just in shock at that. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was didn't have many words. And then I had this extra kind of weight come on me of the the emotional flashback as well, which was a real kind of heaviness, um, even more. Um, and I say this because, um, you know, I've had 19 years to deal with my the grief of losing my losing a parent and I've learned how to manage my grief and I've learned how to understand how I grieve 
and what the process of grief generally looks like and how it's totally different for everybody but there are similar patterns as well um, and I guess I felt a sense of responsibility that I, I wanted to support other people who were grieving I mean as well as grieving myself <laughs> managing my own grief um, I wanted to somehow I felt like a responsibility to support other people in their grief and give them tools to you know help them and I've been talking ironically the week before with somebody about doing something about grief that I wanted to do some work to do with grief at some point in the future um yeah so I yeah and so I yeah so I, I and for me like grief is always the, sh- the shock is the first the first thing you experience and the numbness and you can't quite believe it and you know and and then there's anger and um, you know I've seen, and I've, I've seen that and I've seen a lot of that right now and, and I've felt that a lot myself you know I'm, I've noticed it in myself I think one of the things that when we were talking before we recorded was sometimes when the, de- when the death of somebody like of this significance um, often brings up grief in us that we haven't processed about other things um, Peter Rollins said once uh, t- talking about the death of Princess Diana um, uh, just over 20 years ago um, the, the, the level of outpouring of grief was incredible um, and he noted that like maybe that was probably a lot of people who had grief that they hadn't resolved and hadn't dealt with and were finally having a, a way to process that grief and I think I think there's an element of that I think everyone is grieving Rachel I think that's true I think, but I think there's probably more that we're grieving as well I think and so yeah I mean what are your kind of thoughts on on grief and the grieving mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. I think you're right I think a lot of us well I think that Rachel helped some of us with our grief there is a grief in a loss of when you change your faith tradition or you change the way that you believe or you change the things that you believe. So anytime you go through a faith deconstruction, there is a grief and there's a grief in losing your spiritual community mm. or the certainty of things that you used to believe. And those were people who were struggling with those things were the people that Rachel was serving with her work. And so in a way, she helped us with that grief, helped us carry it, helped us process it, helped us... Mm it and think through it and move through it um, because she was very healthy all of her own grieving that she had done she came through it with a very strong personal health and approach and so that she was able to be kind and firm even in her very clear things that she said and so she was such a model of, of having come through grief and such a model of strength for people who were grieving and still feeling that weakness. So I think that for some people, now losing her has brought up those feelings of grief from the past, maybe that she even helped us 
work through. And maybe there's also that fear of she was such a blessing as we process these hard things and now she's gone. How are we going to keep going? Who's going to help the next time I have a crisis? And so I think there's that loss of mm. and fear that some people may be feeling as well. And, and certainly this brings up um, other losses, yeah, that people may be grieving um, that are all mm. pouring out in this moment. In this, Yeah, that's right. And it, yeah, and I think there's a lot of people who have left the church, people who have moved to other spiritual communities, but had to go through a difficult experience of leaving church, which... And even people and who Rachel, have stayed yeah. in the church, because that's one thing, many people are crediting Rachel with saving their faith, yeah. um, of helping them figure out how to remain Christians, how to stay followers of Jesus, um, and what that could look like for them. And so even people who stayed in the church still, I think, grieve the loss of just the change, yes. leaving the way they believed growing up or whatever. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, but I think when she, I think when she passed away, this that becomes more real because because in many ways she was the support network for mm-hmm. people processing their grief through her books, through her speaking, and through her advocacy. You know, she was she was she was that voice that that almost kind of guided people through. She was like. The shepherd, the, you know, the the guide for people, like a marker point for people to look at and saying, "Okay, this is where I am. This is where Rachel is." Um, you know, when you lose that, it's 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 traumatic. It, it's huge. Um, and and I think a lot of people, have, you know, people are grieving the loss of so much more. I mean, I think people have, I've noticed there's I've noticed for a while that people are people are grieving the loss of something, especially in America. It feels like that, um, like a loss of hope or a loss of mm-hmm. optimism, and that, and there's so much division, and people are so angry, and and maybe that anger comes from grief, and that anger comes from finding it difficult to deal with what they've lost. Or what they're losing, or what they feel like they're losing. Yeah. And that's the only way that they could process it yeah. was anger, and and I suppose losing Rachel kind of brings it all into sharp focus. And actually, I think ironically, it's brought people together. People are not angry anymore because I think there's a there's a bigger picture now. Um, you know and I think ironically I think Rachel kind of tried to paint that picture for other people and she was ahead of other people in doing that you know and I never saw Rachel get divisive or angry on social media Um, she argued her corner you know she had discussions and she was very strong in a strong voice and an advocate Um, but she was never divisive I don't think and, and she was never mean, and she never no. she didn't make 
personal attacks and so she could say very strong things but it it just felt like it was coming from a place of of love as a prophet speaks i think it was jonathan martin who wrote a piece about her uh today where he just he did this whole beautiful analogy of her as a prophet and i thought it was yeah, I love that. I just last night my seminary class was on the Old Testament prophets, and so I was just nodding as I was reading along in his piece. Like, yes, he's just nailed the spirit of of the biblical prophets, and Rachel very much was in in that role. And so she could say things. I, she would write, you know, in response to a tweet, she would just very firmly, "That is a lie from the pit of hell." But from her, it came through as just this strong prophetic powerful assertive statement but with love and and kindness in it yeah exactly exactly you know um my i don't want to say it's a concern but fear maybe is i mean i have seen people who have gone through major grief christians um who were really on a good journey and a healthy journey and progressing and growing and um, deconstructing and um, finding freedom and then a tragedy happens in the midst of that and they lose somebody and they retreat back into religious certainty even if, even if it's even if it's progressive Christian certainty um, and they kind of stop growing and they go backwards and that can be a natural response to grief it's not an unusual response to grief because you want to go back to something that you know and that you trust and that is secure and safe mm-hmm. um, and it can appear quite healthy sometimes in fact it can appear quite healthy a lot of times and but my experience especially the last few years going through a a life deconstruction reconstruction um, out of religion and really having a Jesus spirituality which is not kind of necessarily bound by religion it, I think it's really really important that we don't retreat back into certainty and that, you know and when the time that, that when the time is right and with a support network and with therapy and with counselling and people that you trust around you um, that we ultimately need to go to those dark places and examine them mm-hmm. and talk about them and reflect mm-hmm. on them and allow ourselves to go there and feel that pain so that we can be free of it yeah yeah with grief the only way out is through yes absolutely and you, you mentioned earlier you know having spent so long working through your own grief with your mother's death what are some things that you've learned about how to grieve, how to get, how to do that work of sort of walking through that dark tunnel to get to the other side? What are two or three things that you do, like practical practices of, of handling grief? Well, I mean, it's 19 years on now. So, it, I mean, obviously it's slightly, it's slightly different now, but I think... Are you talking about daily practices or are you talking about um, just general things? Yeah. Not even daily, but when you when you're in the throes of grief, when you're feeling that surge, if you're having those emotional flashbacks or you're feeling those overwhelming emotions, what what are some practices that you do? I think one of the one of the things is actually I allow myself to feel it. 
like I know what will trigger me what will I know I've come I've figured out healthy ways of processing grief so I'll find a piece of music which uh, music is always quite emotive for me a, a piece of music which takes me to that place and allows me to cry I'm crying I can't like please if you're grieving let yourself cry let yourself weep <laughs> if it takes if, like if you just go completely if you lose it completely that's totally fine it's normal in fact it's healthy like um the more crying you do the better because it's it, i think there's even science that says it's healthy um but I, that's what i do i put a bit, a bit of music on which is emotive and takes and allows me to kind of cry and feel it and let it out in a healthy way so um yeah that's that, that's kind of one thing i do and Sometimes I'll watch, a, I'll watch a film or something which takes me to that place. One of the films that I often watch is Shadowlands, which is about C.S. Lewis and him losing his wife. And, um, and it was one of my mum's favourite films, actually, as well. <laughs> um, but it talks about grief, and it deals with grief in like this really amazing way. I'd actually recommend everyone watch that movie, because it... The way it talks about grieving is, is is really really useful from a spiritual perspective because that's he talks about it from a spiritual perspective. You know, it's one of my favourite lines from that movie is um, the pain now is part of the happiness then. You know, um, I always cry when I when I hear him say that because it's Anthony Hopkins and he's so good. His delivery is amazing, um, but it that it's like now you look back at all the memories that we have with Rachel and we and we kind of we can have joy in those those moments but we also have tears because we know she's gone right and and I think that's what that quote means you know it's you know um, and when I mean it takes a while to get to that place where you can grieve but also smile and cry tears of joy um, which is what I generally do now, um, you know. And I know every t- if it's her birthday or if it's the anniversary, I'll just take myself off for a bit and listen to a bit of music or um, just let myself have a cry. Sometimes I talk to her. I just have a little conversation with her, you know. Um, you know, just uh, as if she was there, which is—I I don't know if that—I don't know—I don't know how that comes across, but it, but it, but it is actually quite therapeutic because I don't, you know, because obviously I know that from a spiritual perspective and a Christian perspective, you know, she's not physically here, but she's still her consciousness is still alive somewhere um, with God, I think, and um, yeah, and I. I occasionally have a sense of her tangibly being with me in things and um, in different moments and just um, I think about what she would be thinking you know especially recently because I've because my sister had had two children in the last couple of years so she would have been a grandmother now which I know she would have loved um, 
and they would have loved her and you know and I you know I've had I've had moments where I just like I wish you were here I wish you you got to see this um you know and I'm sure that that will happen with um with her with with Rachel's husband and her children you know that you'll have that moment that you know I wish you were here to see this you know um and so that, there's, there's some things I do. I, I, you know, I, I listen to a bit of music. I allow myself to cry. Uh, writing is also a good thing. Journaling. Um, write out your feelings. And you don't have to show it to anybody. I think, you got, it, again, there's science that, that, has, that says that, that, that if you journal your emotions at least three times a week, um, it helps your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health. Um, and it allows you to connect with yourself and allows you to connect with your grief um, um, and you never have to show it to anybody you know it's not you're not writing it for anybody else you're writing it for you um, and that can be whatever you want it can be as long as you want or as short as you want it can be a sentence or it can be an essay it doesn't matter um, that's a big thing right? that's something everyone can do I think that, I think that works for most people I think you don't have to be a writer to do that. Um, I think we can all do that. And so I'd recommend that definitely. And and also the other thing I would say is it's okay to grieve in your own way. You don't have to fit any formula. There's no prescription for grief. Um, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Um, it's okay to feel how you feel. Um but find a safe space to, to process that as well like, because you shouldn't grieve alone um, and for people who are helping other people processing grief I would always say just tell people you love them and that you're there for them and if they need you you're there make sure they know that and then if they need you they will they will get in touch with you mm-hmm. um, you don't need to give advice or like um, try and make up for things. You don't have to just tell them you're there, and that if whatever you whatever you need, whatever they need, that that you're there for them. Like just mm-hmm. and keep your phone on. Um, just and if they contact you, they contact you. If they don't, they don't. You know. And but just knowing. I mean, for me, I know that knowing people were there if I needed them was almost enough in a way. Like I didn't didn't need any advice <laughs> they couldn't give me any advice you know um i just needed to know that they were there and that i was not on my own um you know i i, I mean i remember the the, the, the day my mum passed away um i planned to go out for drinks with friends that evening anyway and i wasn't going to go my dad said go just go like you need to get you need to just get this get out of your head get out of this this space and just be with people that love you like um and just not think about this for a while you know uh, and i did and it was really helpful and they all knew they my the people i was hanging out with that night they all knew my mum anyway um and they were all really sad themselves like and they were really helpful they didn't we didn't talk about it we didn't talk about what had happened really we just hung out and had a couple of drinks and had a few laughs and stuff and it was actually really helpful like and but that was my way of dealing with it. I mean, like we all need, we all deal with it in our own way, and it's okay for people to deal with it in their own way. 
and people will. Um, but I mean, there is a point where you need some where, where when you'll know when you're ready to, to get to get to get proper support, like go to a therapist or go to a counsellor or whatever, and and get like that kind of support. Um, there will be a time when that is that is important, um, but obviously not straight away. Um, because you're still very caught up in the immediacy of it and in shock, basically. And so it's not... You don't do that straight away. I wouldn't advise that because um, you need a little bit of distance from it to start processing it. So, yeah, I hope that's all helpful. I know it's a bit jumbled, that's, but... That's given me some ideas as well. Um, I like that. I... One of the, the first hashtag that I saw formed um, after Rachel died and the news got out was because of RHE, because of Rachel Hope Epi. And I love that people turned their grief, as, as they were processing, turned their grief into gratitude and into sharing the stories and into planning for the future. Because of Rachel, I've done this. I've been able to do this. I've accomplished this. I've felt this. And because of Rachel, I will do this in the future. I will be more loving to people. I will carry on her advocacy work. Um, so that's one really beautiful way that I've seen people shape their grief on social media the past few days. Yeah. Yeah. And people have, people have processed their grief in a really healthy way on social media I mean that's writing it out isn't it I mean that is writing it out yeah, writing out your feelings and it's not being alone because people have yeah. formed a community of support I saw that um, I think Sarah Bessie had shared that there was a pastoral care team that offered themselves to mm. be freely available to anyone who needed to talk to process their grief and I thought that was absolutely a wonderful gesture and I saw various other people you said, hey, my DMs are open if you need to talk to someone about this. And so I love those people who yeah. stepped up into that caregiving role. In this. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I did that. But I didn't expect anyone to, I just, to respond to it. I, I felt like I need to just offer this at least because I've got this, you know, and experience and things. And I've tweeted a few things about grief as well because I felt like they might be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so... Yeah, I just done what I can, and it, it, it. I think everyone's just doing what they can, you know. And I think it's really good to see people coming together over it, though. I just, I love that. I love how people are just coming together and supporting each other, and you mm-hmm. know, actually doing some healthy work. Yeah, and I know that um, Sarah Buffy and others are working to collect. The stories that people are sharing, um, Sarah and others have shared the address for Casey Management, um, Rachel's management company, where people can send their cards and letters that her friends will collect and give to the family at a proper time. They set up a GoFundMe for the medical expenses and the ongoing support of the family. I cannot imagine being a dad with two small children alone uh, and the challenge that, that Dan's going to have. And so I that's raised over $200,000 so far so I mean if people are looking for practical ways to bless Rachel's family and friends I think that sending 
the cards supporting the GoFundMe. Um, I'm praying for Rachel's family and her friends and encouraging them uh, is a great way to do that. I think of Sarah Bessie and Jess too, for example, who are going to have to keep working on the conference that they were doing together with Sarah or with, uh, with Rachel without her to, to make sure that the conference goes forward this fall. And I can't imagine the constant grief that's going to be for them. I think I think that whole conference will be will be will be will be like a wake in many ways. Yes, I really think it will. Um, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Um, it's a place where people can stand together and process their grief together and and come together. You know, I think that is. Yeah, that that will be. Um, I'm sure that will be a, um, an amazing experience for people who are going. Um, you know, and quite probably quite thera- therapeutic for people who are going, and maybe people who are organising it as well. You know, and um, yeah, so yeah, all those things. Just uh, do what you can. You know. Um, you had mentioned, I think, just yesterday, James, that you're done with the chapter summaries of your book. Am I remembering that right? That's correct. That was today. Yeah, and I wanted to ask. Sorry, time time is kind of flowing weirdly right now. That was just today, but I wanted to ask you: Do you feel like, since Rachel gave you so much encouragement in your writing, hmm. your I mean, what's your because of because of Rachel? What is your yeah. Okay. Well, in terms of what she did for me in the past, um, it's really to encourage encouragement to keep going with my writing, to keep writing, to write for the joy of writing, um, to have integrity in my writing, to keep doing the work, um, and that was that that that's what she gave me um, in terms of my writing. Uh, to my faith that it was okay to move beyond church that you know, I could find a spirituality that, and, a, and a way of expressing my spirituality outside of outside of traditional boundaries of church um, those are the two legacies I think that she's left in my life um, in terms of going forward I it was really strange yesterday because I yesterday evening I was just thinking like I have this book to write and I'd been planning this book and I'd just done the plan from this book while I was away in um, LA a few weeks ago and it was a book about it's a book it's going to be a book about my experiences with trauma childhood trauma and grief um, and how that impacted my life and then going into kind of finally stopping with certainty and addiction and things and actually letting go of that and going to the dark places and deconstructing my life, my grief um, my trauma my faith um, my professional life, everything and coming out the other side and finding freedom on the other side and that's the book, that's what the book is going to be about Um, and when I thought about what's happened with with Rachel and and the outpouring of grief and so many people who might be going through something similar to what I went through 
I felt like I just felt this really real sense of purpose I thought Rachel would want me to write this book and she would want me to get on with it and not procrastinate um, and do this work um, do what the work I've been put here to do and share this with other people you know even if it helps just one other person um, it's worth it's worth me writing this book um, and I felt a sense of responsibility and a sense of um, just a greater sense of purpose than I felt for a while you know that that almost like I owe it to her um, and to people who are grieving for her that, to write this book and um, so that they know they're not alone and that there is there is kind of hope at the end of grief there is uh, and there is there can be new life at the end of grief uh, and that you can live through grief and find freedom and yeah I don't know it just felt like a I don't want to say torture been passed at all because that's not that's not what it is. But um, I just felt like emboldened and empowered, really. That oh, this is why I have to write this book. This is what this this is who it's for. This is what it's this is what it's for. This is this is why this is important. And you know, um, you know, and that that that's really. That's really it, you know, and I, I feel that about all my work now, that, you know, that I can't um, procrastinate and make excuses anymore, that um, I just have to get out there and do the work. And I also felt a sense of purpose in terms of encouraging people, being more encouraging on social media than I have been, and um, sending those letters to people or direct messages to people to encourage them, um, to support them when they're struggling, um, to talk about grief more um, on social media and in the work that I do um, it kind of gave me some yeah some motivation and drive you know that um, this really isn't about me this is about serving other people and I have to do this you know and and even a sense of you don't know how long you've got this could be my last book you know, it sounds really morbid, morbid. I hope it's not my last book. I'm sure it won't be my last book. But I can't kind of be complacent and think, oh, I'll get around to it another day. You know, I have to get on with it now. Right. I, I, Rachel was under contract for two more books. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I have this hope that maybe she had written some on them and that her friends would be able to pull that together and get it out into the world I don't know how much she had done on them but um. I think she had started writing one of them yeah and I saw, I saw her tweet the other day like I've got the next two books in my head I know what they are and I was like and like, it kind of just broke my heart I was like oh, we're never going to see these books I want to know what these books were. <laughs> I want to read these books you know um, you know um, yeah books greatest weapons in the world yeah words isn't that from Doctor Who it is <laughs> I was just being flippant and subtle <laughs> I think that's okay I don't think it's like, it's wrong to talk about Doctor Who I, I think um, I know yeah. that Sarah Bessie would appreciate yeah exactly she would appreciate that too yes yeah, she loves Doctor Who um, 
words, the most powerful weapons in the world, yes. Ten said that. Um, yes. So that's kind of my... Um, uh, what's the hashtag? Because of RHE. Because of RHE. Because of RHE. That's my because of RHE. Because of RHE, I have... I have a drive to do the work that I'm here to do and to make sure that I get on and do it and to get this message out to help people who are grieving and, and who are going through this process so that they know they're not alone. That's my because of RHE. And what's yours? Well, the first thing I did when I sort of like, okay, what, what are my next steps? The first thing I did was my Old Testament homework um, because I'm a New Testament scholar and I have struggled with my homework for this Old Testament class. Um, but I love that Rachel loves the Bible. I love that she engaged with it and wrestled with it and found creative ways of teaching from the Bible. And so I, I did my homework because um, that was that was the next thing too, you know. And then um, the next thing I did today was I made an appointment for my next tattoo, which might sound flippant, but it's not. Um, I have a tattoo on my left collarbone that says Matheitria, which is the Greek feminine form for disciple. So Matheitria is a female disciple, so discipleship is, is important to me, and so I got Greek uh, on my left collarbone, and I've, I've always wanted to get a Hebrew one on the other side, but I never knew what I wanted it to say, so it's been a couple years I've been thinking about it, and I didn't have a thought for it, and then I saw someone post on Instagram the tattoo she had just gotten, and it was the Hebrew Eshet Sheil, Woman of Valor. Mm. And as soon as I thought, I knew. I thought, that that's it. That's what I want on the other side, the mirror of, of disciples. I want Woman of Valor, because those are two things that I am, that I claim as my identity. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm a Woman of Valor. And, and Rachel taught me what being a Woman of Valor is. It's using my unique gifts that God has given me to bless the world and it doesn't have to look like what other women's gifts are and there's no predetermined role being a follower of, of Christ is, is being a follower of Christ for women it's not being a wife and mother is not what being a Christian is about for women and and I, that's something that I learned from Rachel so that phrase woman of valor is something that she used to champion women with all the time and so um, that that's what I want on on my body as a reminder as, of my identity um, and to keep championing other women of valor as well. So those, those are two, my two immediate steps. But beyond that, I, um, because of Rachel and her influence, I'm going to keep pursuing my seminary degree. I'm going to keep pursuing ordination. I'm going to keep teaching the Bible in creative ways. I'm going to keep being a safe person for people to talk to about their big faith questions and their big life questions. Um, like you also, I'm, I'm going to send those encouraging messages to people. Um, and, and I'm working on my next book. Um, I'm emboldened to do that, um, to put my words out there like she did and to serve people with them. Um, so, yeah, I want to carry on those things that I've learned from her as well. That's beautiful. That's so great. That's beautiful. Oh, well, I don't really know how to end this. Um, <laughs> I, I've got the, 
I've got the last published words of Rachel Haldemans. Um which were so which were published on Ash, Ash Wednesday and feel really appropriate um, so I guess I'm just going to I'll read these out and I will just and then I'll just then that'll be the end of the podcast mm-hmm. and um, thank you for um, coming on Becky Mm-hmm. This is good to talk it through. Um, yeah, I think, and this has really been helpful for processing grief ourselves. I think. Yeah. Um, obviously, for regular listeners, I'll be back again with more episodes soon. Um, but um, for now, this is um, this is it. Um, okay. And I'm just going to read Rachel's last words. So here we go. Death is a part of life. My prayer for you this season is that you make time to celebrate that reality and to grieve that reality and that you will know that you are not alone. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust.